There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 and Grant's microbiter. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Today is going to be the second appearance of Rex Uerman, the alleged, the arrested uh, Long Island serial killer, right now being charged with the murders of three women. Uh, he's expected to have a hearing today at 2 p.m., uh, as you can imagine, it's uh, uh, probably a media circus out there. So he's charged with bur- with killing three women and burying their bodies near Gilgo Beach on Long Island. A case, obviously, that had authorities uh, unable or unwilling or whatever. They were unable to find this serial killer who's been at large probably since 2007. Um this, again, he was arrested on July 13th. Um, it's unclear what's going to be discussed at this hearing today. Um, it's being called, me, uh, according to the New York Times, as merely a conference. Uh, the Suffolk County District Attorney and Michael Brown, Mr. Ewerman's lawyer, uh, they, they will be facing each other in court today. Mr. Ewerman, of course, was charged last month with three counts a first-degree murder and three counts of second-degree murder in the deaths of Amberlyn Costello, Melissa Bartolome, and Megan Waterman. They there you were the first of three, uh, th- three of eleven bodies discovered along a stretch of shore between 2010 and 2011. Rex Uerman has pleaded not guilty, and he will be prosecuted by the Suffolk County District Attorney Raymond uh, uh, Tierney. The case began in 2010 uh, with the retrieval of four female bodies on a, on a desolate uh, stretch of Ocean Parkway near Gil- Gilgo Beach. It was only the, the first of several grisly discoveries and all remains of nine women, a man, and a toddler were found in the area. From the very beginning, the four women whose bodies were retrieved were uh, known to the public as sex workers. Um, Rex Uerman, an architect, seemed to, uh, from what they've uncovered of his life, uh, led a dual life, a double life, if you will. One, the father that lived in Massapequa Park, Long Island. Two, he was an architect who owned his own architectural business in Manhattan. And three, led this life of a perverted psychosexual serial killer that who is being brought into court today. Human uh, hasn't been charged with the other eight killings. Uh, he's a suspect in those killings, of course, and he has yet to be charged with the murder of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, who went missing in uh, July 2007. Uh, Miss Costello, Miss Waterman, and Miss Bartolome uh, they all worked as escorts. That was a commonality 
a common thread that uh, investigators used to put this case together. Um, again, we all know about the multi-agency task force that was put together by former NYPD chief of detectives and chief of department, Rodney Harrison. It appears that that task force and that idea of putting together that task force very well could have been the catalyst that resulted in a fresh look at this case, a fresh look at the evidence, a fresh look at the tips that they got. And apparently a, a huge tip that they had received numerous years ago in regards to what's on the screen there, a Chevy Avalanche at the uh, home of one of the victims, Amber Costello. And the, his description was described to a witness. For whatever reason, that information apparently wasn't acted upon years ago. And in March, um, a state police detective, I believe a female state police detective, Rodney Harrison named her in one of the press conferences, uncovered this information about the Chevy Avalanche and did a what's called a lawman search on the state computer and was able to put a name to this vehicle. And when the description came back that he was six foot four, anywhere from six foot four to six foot six, between 250 and 300 pounds, it definitely resonated with the investigators that, you know, this was missed back then. This, this seemingly glaring um, piece of evidence was missed. And the task force obviously did not miss this. They put this together and they acted upon it. And so far, that is proved what has been the difference. This new task force that was put together of the FBI, Suffolk County Police, the Suffolk County DA's office, the state police, and the Suffolk County Sheriff's office. A team of investigators that got results very quickly when others couldn't in a number of years. They did it in a, in a number of months. And as a result, this man, Rex Ewerman, who you see on the screen right there, uh, is now under arrest. Each murders. Suspect Rex Ewerman set to appear in court today. Here's former NYPD Commissioner John Miller speaking to CNN about the suspicious details surrounding Hewerman's home. We've seen serial killers who have created operating environments in their home because it offers control and privacy. In this case, they don't know this, but why they suspect this is a strong possibility is two core reasons. Number one, tracking the victim's cell phones, they have three, well, they have the four cases he's a suspect and he's charged in three, but in three of those four cases, their cell phones seem to track from where they started out right to the Massapequa Park area of his home, and then they go dark. The other thing is in 
all four of those cases, those were times when his wife and children were out of town, away from the house. Why do something in your own house where you're going to be creating evidence? Because it's the one place you have plenty of time to clean up that evidence. It's the place where what they call the murder kit, the things you're going to need to tie somebody up or do the rest of the things that are alleged in this case are readily available to you. Um, it's where a victim is screaming, unlike a hotel room at 1.30 in the morning where people are going to hear that, um, can be muffled. And it's a place where, more important than all of that, you as the killer feel you are in control of the environment and the victim is not. So do they have a piece of physical evidence that ties any of these victims to his home yet? The answer is no, but they've removed a lot of things that they're going to be testing yeah. to see if they can tie um, either the victim's presence there or evidence uh, of the victim at that location. We have seen in the history of serial killer cases an innate ability to compartmentalize their normal lives, family lives, job lives, and then they're usually extraordinarily complex lives uh, where they operate in a hidden identity doing these things um, in a way to avoid detection. This case is like a lot of those. Will we see more charges announced today? Maybe. Who knows? Right now, I want to take you to Suffolk County, New York, where we find Court TV crime and justice correspondent Matt Johnson standing by live outside of the courthouse where all the action is going to be happening this afternoon. Matt, good to see you again this morning. Uh you know, folks, we don't know for sure what this hearing is going to uncover. Will they announce more charges or will it just be sort of an administrative thing to set the rules down, to set a schedule down, we will find out. But right now, no one's expecting anything that's going to be earth-shattering. However, because of the notoriety of this case, and this is the second court appearance for accused uh, Gilgo serial killer Rex Ewerman, that's why it's garnering so much press and so much interest. Give us kind of a preview of what we can expect to happen when Rex Hurman is brought back into court today. Julie, good morning to you. And that's the big question, right? With all of these charges pending, this investigation still open, will there be more charges announced today? Will we also see his wife, who has recently filed for divorce, and other family members present here at this courthouse here behind me? What we do know is that this is one of the largest true crime cases in the country, if not internationally. Take a look at some of our cameras that are around here right now. This is growing in size of the media presence as Justin, our photojournalist, is panning around the front of the courthouse. This is both local and national news. There is no escaping this story here. It is on every channel, and this is why. Just take a look. And this is five hours away from this hearing when suspected Long Island serial killer Rex Hewerman will be in court. This is the first court appearance since he pleaded not guilty to the charges last month. Take a look. We were at his home yesterday where there is less of a police presence, but there is still a mood of, of tenseness in the air there. And this is over at Massapeka Home where investigators dug into the backyard. They lifted the the decking in the back of the home. They went inside of his basement and they removed several items, including what we know is a life-size doll and also more than 200 guns from behind a locked door. And we can also tell you again, he, chase, he faces three charges first-degree murder and also three charges, second-degree murder. 
But again, with this investigation wrapping up at the house, we don't have any idea of all the other evidence that was collected and those other charges still pending. Remember that there was 11 victims total that were found in that Gilgo Beach area. Our cameras were also there yesterday. Everyone telling us that they are still in shock. They thought that this was a case that was actually going to go unsolved, Julie. Back out here live in front of the Suffolk County Courthouse, we're panning in. Justin, you can see the doors have opened here, but there was a long line of people waiting to get inside. It is going to be first come, first serve seating in five hours from now. People are already lining up, waiting to get a seat and hoping to see. Okay, so folks, this was earlier this morning that obviously this report from this reporter. And what do we what do we know so far about, uh, to do a recap about Rex Hewerman? Well, we know he's a male white. We know he's 59 years old. We know that he is from Massapequa, Long Island. He grew up there. Um, he worked as an architect in New York City. He bought his family's home. When we talk about his personality and who he is, many people said that he was um, he was a bit of a loner. Um, and interviewing some of his Friends, well, you can't even really say friends. Some of his acquaintances from high school, from Berna High School in Massapequa, um, they had said that he was a, a little bit of an oddball um, to himself, a big guy. Um, I guess a big guy that maybe you wouldn't want to cross. Not, no one referred to him as timid. However, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't into sports. Uh, not many people knew what he was about because, as I said, he kept to himself. We know that he was married. His wife has since filed for divorce. He, his his son is a uh, the son of his wife, I believe, from a previous marriage. He has a daughter. Um, when we looked at his house, um, the house that they spent the better part of 12 or 13 days uh, searching. It was of an unkempt uh, looking house, a house that you wouldn't take it to be an architect's house because as you can see in the photo on the screen, two by fours seemingly holding up the house. The house appeared to be in a state of uh, disrepair. I don't have good photos here of it, uh, but you would think that someone that was an architect um, would take much better care of their house. But apparently um, that wasn't the case. And when the police officers, the the, the search of the house um, took place, they said the house was um, cluttered. That was the word that I believe the, that Rodney Harrison used, cluttered. And as I said, if the police are using the word cluttered, you could bet it was much more than that, that it was not just cluttered, but uh, potentially maybe the home of a hoarder, someone that kept too many belongings in the house. And uh, that would be the definition for, for a lot of police of cluttered. This case goes back to um, 2007, when Amberlynn, I believe it was Amberlynn Costello, 
first went missing. Um, what we have right now, of course, is three counts of murder first degree. And we, we, we would ask, well, why do they call the, the women in this case the Gilgo Four if there's only three charges? On screen now is what's no, been known as the Gilgo Four. And that, that would be Maureen Brainerd Barnes and um, Melissa Bartolome, Amberlynn Costello, and Megan Waterman. Uh, but as yet, um, they have not charged Rex Uerman with the uh, death of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. So that is expected. Could that possibly be announced today that they have enough to charge him in the fourth case? And what does that mean as per the, the other cases? That Does that mean the other cases are not... Uh, are not going to be charged? What what does that mean? Or does that just mean that they don't have enough, they don't have enough information right now? They don't have enough evidence right now to charge the fourth case. We all would love to know during the 12 or 13 days that they spent at Rex Uerman's uh house with the search warrant. What did they find? We know that they took a lot of items out of that house. Did they find any specific evidence relative to the other persons that were missing? Was there any DNA, hair, fibers, blood? Um, that will take a while for the police to investigate that and for it to come back. Because right now, we don't know. All of these things take time. It's not like TV where they do it in 10 minutes and you're watching the episode and the evidence comes back uh, from from right while you're watching the show. You could see what a giant of a man he is as compared to the detectives. So that was when he was first arraigned last week. And um, as I said, when you look at the size of Rex Uerman as compared to a regular sized man, he's quite a uh, imposing figure. Um, I think that the, the police commissioner stressed that, um, look, that, that came out. That was an important piece of evidence in regards to the information that they had in regards to, to Rex Ewerman. Um, the size, six foot four to six foot six, uh, a giant, basically a giant of a man. And that information they had since 2011, 2010. So we have to learn as to why maybe perhaps. The old investigation was uh, before Rodney Harrison took it over and formed the Gilgo Beach Task Force in conjunction with the Suffolk County DA's office, the FBI, um, the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office, and the New York State Police. That seemed to be the catalyst as to how this case went forward. That front 
and that front is the family, it's the job, it's the kids, it's the all-American look, right? But there's this dark side that he has. How did he have all of these hidden deviancies that no one had discovered in all of these years? And he was able to just keep that completely on the side. And now we see these horrific internet searches and all of the things that are actually part of the evidence. And how was he able to hide that for so long? And was there at some point a, a form of escalation or maybe a rapid unraveling of his mental state that people didn't catch? And if they can track him, they can definitely find out that he didn't start in his late 40s, that he may have started in his 30s or in his 20s, depending on where he went to college, depending on where he was living, if he's living in an apartment, all those things they look into, if they're actually going to get to the bottom of all the individuals he may have killed. Of course, they're all talking about the accused Long Island serial killer scheduled to be in court early next week. Court TV legal correspondent Julie Janae has more tonight. To announce uh, the indictment of defendant Rex Andrew Heerman, 59 years of age, uh, and he's been arrested by the Suffolk County uh, Police Department's homicide detectives, and he's been indicted for the murders of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. On July 13, 2023, architect Rex Heerman was arrested in connection with three of the Gilgo Beach murders and remains a prime suspect in the killing of Maureen Bernard Barnes. For more than a decade, the bodies unearthed on Gilgo Beach in New York terrified residents. Nine women, a man, and a toddler were discovered, and police believe Heerman is connected to four. Rex Heerman is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families. During a training exercise on December 11th, 2010, the remains of Melissa Bartholomew were discovered. Two days later, the remains of Maureen, Megan, and Amber were all found. All four victims were petite females, believed to be sex workers, missing clothes, and bound in a similar fashion. They were killed by homicide. Before their disappearance, they had been contacted by a person using a burner phone you know folks when they refer to someone was killed by homicide um that simply means death caused by another and when they refer to it in that fashion it means that it's criminal because homicide could be not criminal death caused by another in an accident and or doing during uh attempt maybe to try to save someone's life you can cause their death and that could still be ruled a homicide. But the way they're referring to it, I just want to point out, it's a criminal homicide. And, and in the the bail application, the district attorney's office referred to it in the same way. It was death by homicide. For each of the murders, he got an individual burner phone, and he used that to communicate with the victims. Uh, then shortly after uh, the death of the victims, uh, he then would uh, would get rid of the burner phone. According to the phone records, investigators believed the serial killer lived in Massapequa Park and worked in Midtown Manhattan near Penn Station. They discovered Heerman had access to several burner phones and the calls were made inside what police called the box. Their suspect would also make sadistic calls near his office to the victim's families, with one particular call asking Bartholomew's teenage sister, quote, do you think you'll ever speak to her again? They had these phone records from day one. As you mentioned, they had the 
the description of the guy, the car. They had all the information they needed. A key detail in the investigation would be buried for years as a police chief was arrested for obstruction of justice. But in March of 2022, weeks after a new task force formed, an investigator found a witness description of a man matching Hureman's characteristics at Amber Costello's home. That individual was identified as, as a person who was between 6'4 and 6'6, uh, a, a large man also of significance was the fact that he was driving a dark-colored, black, first-generation uh, Chevrolet Avalanche. Investigators would later find Hiraman's Chevy Avalanche in South Carolina. One of the things that we did is we followed him because we wanted to get an abandonment sample of his DNA. Investigators collected Hiraman's DNA from a discarded pizza crust and linked him to a hair found on a burlap covering Megan Waterman's remains. The investigation continues with the search of Hearman's home and the possibility of other murder charges. He claims he is innocent and has an attorney who says he did not commit these murders. In terms of speaking to my client, the only thing I can tell you that he did say uh, as he was in tears was, I didn't do this. So what? Well, you know, every, uh, every accused person, of course, uh, usually pleads not guilty and that's no exception with Rex Schuerman how however if they didn't even charge these murders he's got numerous felonies besides these murders these the nature of his searches on his computer could put him in prison for five years and I'm not that's the least of his worries because he's being charged with three counts of murder first degree but you know I don't how would he even explain the the perverted sites that he searched on his computer, childhood porn sites, things like that, which sort of paints a picture of who this guy is. And there's no doubt, again, he's innocent to proven guilty, but the things that they found on his computer, the fact that he used burner phones to set up uh, rendezvous with these sex workers, that was what uh, my compadre Mike Geary, Geary would say is consciousness of guilt, premeditation, attempting to get away with something that he knew was wrong. Uh, to, to further discuss this case, I have joining me today and straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thank you for having me, Billy. You know, Phil, we're, we're sort of recounting and recapping some of the things that happened in this case. when. When they go live, we will try to go live to the press conference right now. Uh, we don't know exactly what's happening inside that courtroom. There's not, other than the fact that if they did, and I, I don't anticipate or no one's anticipating that, they could potentially levy a fourth murder on him today, the murder of Maureen Brainerd Bonds. Other than that possibility, I think really today is sort of, and informational for the attorneys, for the district attorney, setting future schedules, uh, sort of laying down the ground rules for both sides. And um, I don't see a lot of huge things. I don't think we have any uh, smoking gun things. Well, I know people hate that term, but to use that term uh, is going to happen today in the courtroom. Phil? You know, Billy, I don't think there's going to be a lot of uh, 
information revealed with regard to evidence. However, like you said, there could be the charge for uh, Maureen Brainerd Bards. That could be uh, one of the things that's accomplished today. Of course, we do know he's uh, considered a suspect in that case. Perhaps uh, they weren't comfortable with the evidence that they had now that they did the searches at the home. Uh, perhaps maybe they're going to be a little bit more comfortable to now charge with that. But Billy, I just want to touch on some of the things you were talking about. Just the searches. I'm going to list some of the searches that he did on his computer, and these are just completely off the charts. Uh, girl begging for rape porn, pretty girl with bruised face porn, tortured redhead porn, 10-year-old schoolgirl porn, tied up and raped porn. I mean, I could go on and on. There's like 26 things, slaves, all different uh, types of searches that this maniac was doing. And again, if they found child porn on his computer, which I believe they did, uh, uh, that again, in and of itself, holds, I believe, a five or 10 year uh, penalty uh, criminally if he's found guilty of it and it's found on his computer. So he's not wriggling, wiggling out of these charges by any means, I could say. Uh, again, uh, one of the things that Rodney Harrison said, I pulled it up uh, from my notes, uh, items taken into possession from the home were fruitful to the case. That's the police commissioner of Suffolk County, Rodney Harrison, former NYPD, uh, chief of department and chief of detectives that made that statement uh, within a day or two after the arrest. Uh, I, I'm sorry, uh, within a day or two of the completion of the uh, crime scene at the home. So I do think that there's going to be some things that are going to tie in to this case with regard to all of these murders that were found in the home. We just have to wait and see what the results are going to be from those uh, crime scene examinations. Absolutely. You know, people, when, when police conduct a search warrant, um, it's not pretty. The aftermath is not pretty. And this is true with Rex Hewerman's house. Apparently they wrecked the house and they don't fix the house. Uh, that may be unfortunate for the, for the wife and children of Rex Hewerman. I think that they would actually have to sue to be made whole, to have their home fixed after what was done. But the police break through walls. In this case, I think they took a, a tub out. They just did a lot of damage. And you can imagine uh, Rex Hewerman's wife, I believe her name is Asa, and his children, they're not involved in this. Apparently, they had no knowledge. They, they're devastated by this. And they're going, they're going back home. And imagine what they're facing in their home right now. What was showing on the screen, and it's not that clear because she's being spoken to from a distance, is the wife and uh, the, the the son of Rex Human in the front of their house. Uh, with a, a bunch of things on the, on the, uh, the decking. And um, obviously she's very upset and she had uh, sort of vented toward the press a couple of days earlier, but she seems like she's in this footage, she's calmed down and she's allowing them to take photos of her with the little close up of the house. You could see the disrepair that this house is in. If you could Bill, see, can I make a comment on that? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 
you know, law enforcement's obligation when they conduct a search warrant is really uh, when they leave that the house is secure, meaning that the front and back door would be locked, that it wouldn't be easy for a person to gain entry into that home once the uh, search warrant is executed. Now, with regard to damages and stuff like that, if they have to break a wall or remove a tub like you stated, again, uh, it's possible that uh, the, the surviving uh, family members can, I, I guess it would be his wife, um, perhaps uh, sue for uh, damages or, or things of that nature. I don't think ethically if that's going to be something that they would want to do. I mean, let's face it, I, I do have sympathy for the family. They weren't involved in this thing. But, uh, you know, there were uh, several murders that this this person is is tied to. So I guess uh, from a ethical standpoint, I don't know if they're going to go that route. Uh, and again, uh, you know, if they have to recover evidence, it has to be reasonable the damage that they cause. If they just started breaking things just to break things, yeah, I get it. But if they have to, uh, you know, break pipes or shut off water to remove a tub or to remove that door, and if they have to damage a wall, I think that's all part of recovering evidence. I don't know how successful they would be in collecting a damage on something like that. But again, like I said, law enforcement's obligation when you conduct a search warrant, you break through the door sometimes. Maybe in this case they didn't have to, but either way, you have to leave it in a secure condition where someone can't just walk into it and gain access to the home. Uh, Lula Morocco, thank you so much for the $20 super sticker. These crimes are serious Lord. enough to fall under federal jurisdiction should be prosecuted as such. The searches alone and the calls he made to family members are a form of torture, cruel, and unusual punishment. Lou, I'm, um, I'm not an attorney, so I don't know if that could even be a possibility. Uh, the feds, of course, are on this case. Um, could they charge this case federally? Again, I, you would need someone with a with a law degree, a lawyer, to comment upon that. One thing in, in is my if, understanding of that bill is, uh, if there's more than one person involved, uh, so to speak, a conspiracy, perhaps it could go into a federal court with regard to murder. But unless uh, state lines are crossed, I don't think that this would fall into the federal statute. That's my understanding. Again, Bill, I'll defer to what you said. Uh, someone in, let's say, uh, a prosecutor an attorney, someone who would have a little bit more knowledge of that. But my understanding is, like I just said, it would have to be crossing a state line. Or if there's more than one individual involved in the murder, let's say a conspiracy. So uh, under those two uh, statutes, I think you could fall into the federal guideline. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you like real crime, true crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you want to to, um, excuse me, if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and ring that bell. And if you want to support us financially, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel membership with five different levels. And you see the folks in the font with the green font in the chat. They're part of our YouTube family, our subscribers, our friends. And uh, we really appreciate everything that they do. I want to continue showing this little short video here. I understand. I, you know, I was talking to one of your friends, um, Michelle, a longtime friend, and she wanted to put together maybe a GoFund for you. Would that be something of interest? Would that be helpful? Yeah. Okay. I actually... Um, yeah, that would be very helpful. Okay. Oh. I'm going to actually reach out. 
Okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things also I, I would imagine that for the fact that Rex Ewerman was their source, was their supporter, was their, as far as I know, was their sole source of income. And he's now locked up and he doesn't look like he's getting out ever, probably, but anytime soon. Um, you know, I don't know how the family is going to support themselves. Eliza Krogan, thank you for the $10 super sticker. Very much appreciated. So this, again, is a shocking thing for the family. The family, uh, just like us, had no idea that their father was the Long Island serial killer, which, again, he's innocent to proven guilty. He's the accused Long Island serial killer. But the family, again, is in shock, much like everyone else. And... Um, we, we have to sort of feel sympathy toward them, Phil. Yeah, I do agree with that. Uh, they, listen, I hate to even say this, but they are victims as well. I mean, uh, nobody in the family was killed. Uh, it's horrific what these victims did go through. But again, uh, if they had no knowledge and it appears that they didn't, their whole world is now turned upside down. I'm sure when they went back into that home, it was in complete disarray. There probably was a you know, a lot of stuff uh, moved around, maybe some damage caused for the searches that took place. So that is one part of it. Again, you just brought up the other thing. He was the sole supporter of the family. The wife worked in his architect business. So now he's out of business. Uh, she's out of a job. There's no income coming in at that point. Uh, there are two grown adult children. Uh, I don't know what their work status is, whether or not, you know, maybe uh, they, they took a leave of absence from their jobs. I don't even know if they have jobs. But again, uh, I think it's going to be pretty difficult with that last name at this point to now get a job even. So uh, the point is a little sympathy towards the fam family members of Rex Uriman. Uh They are victims as well. Unfortunately for them, they were in the family of this uh, this maniac. And uh, we do have to uh, just point that out, that uh, they are victimized as well. You know, apparently uh, the, the mother is a nurse. I don't know if she actively works as a nurse. Um, but, you know, obviously this is going to put great strain on this family. Um, so we, we don't know what's going to happen to them down the road here. I don't think there's going to be support for their father. Uh Obviously, they want to distance themselves as far away from him as they can. Six foot four, Huerman in that courtroom. How will he be behaving? How will he be acting? Will he say anything? Because we know, again, that he's on suicide watch after his arrest. He was in tears out in front of our cameras here. It's also set up with the media with these microphones in place just in case there's a big announcement, which we'll bring to you. And there is impromptu interviews, Julie. Uh, certainly, Matt. You know, speaking of the interviews, uh, members of the community uh, have to be just so sickened and stunned with these allegations. What is the sentiment now after they've had a little bit of time to digest it? And, and of course, everything kind of comes back to the surface on a day like today where uh, the accused is coming back in court and, and uh, all of the world of true crime is a buzz about it. Yeah, the, the response is they feel for the family members that say that they didn't know anything. They wonder how someone, a monster like this, if he is actually the culprit here, could be living in plain sight. And they wonder if there's going to be more charges today.
Uh, Matt Johnson, uh, thank you so much uh, for that update. We'll look forward to your reporting throughout the day here on Court TV Live. Uh, Matt Johnson in Suffolk County, again, 2 p.m. Eastern time. And because our cameras aren't allowed in, uh, we will all be waiting uh, with bated breath to hear what Matt tells us after he comes out of that hearing. Uh, right now, I want to welcome in a very special guest on the program. She is a renowned psychotherapist. She's an author. She also hosts the podcast Talking Live and Bite Size. We're so pleased to have Dr. Dr. Robbie Ludwig with us this morning. You know, folks, we, uh, last week or the week before, I forget the exact date, we had Dr. Uh, Joni Johnston on, who is a, um, a psychotherapist, a forensic psychologist, who's interviewed many, many serial killers. And she told us many th disturbing things about Rex Ewerman. Uh, he is in the category of a sexual sadist. And according to Dr. Joni Johnson, sexual sadists have no empathy for their victims. In fact, they get great pleasure out of causing pain to their victims, which is very, very disturbing. And one of the biggest ways he, that was proven that he is in this category is when he took two of the cell phones of the victims I believe it was Maureen Brainerd Barnes and Melissa Bartolome, and actually used those phones to call their family and to really say some despicable, horrific things to their family members. And that is what shows you who Rex Ewerman is, not just a killer, but a psychosexual, sadistic person. And he fits in that category of serial killers, Phil. Yeah, I think what you just pointed out is cruel torture uh, behavior of a serial killer. You know, before I came on, I was listening, and you played a clip of John Miller, the former deputy commissioner of the NYPD, and he pointed out something that I thought was really, really important. When you look at a serial killer, Rex Ewerman lived in that home for most of his life. He bought it from his parents. I think that point... Uh, that I'm trying to make there is very important to a serial killer's background or the profile of a serial killer. Uh, the cell phone seemed to have traveled to the location, the victim's cell phone, and then they go dead. We believe, and uh, I'm in the, uh, the camp of it, I'm sure you are too, Bill, that some of those murders may have taken place in that home. There is no evidence at this point that can point to that. But I think that because uh, the family was out of town, the cell phone goes to the location. I am firmly in the belief that the murders or some of the murders did take place in that home. Again, he would be able to control. That's one of the things that the serial killers, specifically the sadistic serial killer, killers, sexual sadistic serial killers, that's one of the profiles, that they want control of their victim. And what better control can he have than in the basement of his own home that he lived in for most of his life? So I think that that's one of the uh, important things that were pointed out. John Miller was right on track with that. Uh, you know, uh, he could control uh, whether or not noises would be muffled. Uh, he would be much more comfortable. You know, to, to drive around with a, a dead human body in a vehicle is very, very dangerous. That's how Joel Rifkin was caught out on Long Island. He was pulled over by the police. He had a dead body in the back of his pickup truck, and that's how he was eventually caught. So again, you have to think in the mind of a person that's uh, committing these type of crimes. He can control it much better where he could just...
do what he has to do, and then take the body over to the area where the uh, victims were dumped, perhaps in the dark of night. Uh, and it, might, it would be much safer for him or he would feel more comfortable and he would feel more, you know, uh, at, at ease, so to speak, to conduct uh, these horrible, horrific things that he, uh, that he allegedly did. Making headlines across the country. The man arrested in the Gilgo Beach case is back in court today, and his wife speaks out for the first time. And we're now seeing inside their home. CBS News' Elijah Westbrook has the update live from the newsroom. Elijah? Well, Cindy, here's what we know. Uh, we know that Rex Heerman will appear in court this afternoon for what's called a conference hearing where the prosecution is expected to uh, go over evidence and talk with witnesses. Now, we're learning from Heerman's estranged wife, 59-year-old Asa Elderup, that their family is just heartbroken behind all of this. Go ahead and take a look. She provided these photos after investigators spent 12 days tearing through her Massapequa Park home in search for evidence. It seems in almost every room of the house, boxes, look at that, are piled and scattered. Now, in an interview with CNN late last night, the lawyer for Elder Up said she had no idea about what her husband allegedly did. She had no idea any of this was going on or the allegations were even her husband was a suspect. Um, she's not a suspect. She has not been questioned by the police regarding any of this. Um, it's been extremely overwhelming for her and the children trying to piece life back together. And well, to that point, in a statement to the Post, Elderup said, quote, I woke up in the middle of the night shivering. She also says that her daughter, Victoria, has expressed emotions of feeling, quote, not human in the wake of the mess left behind. Now, the lawyer chimed in and said, quote, she meant what they've done to them and the family is not even human. They were just complete animals. They treated them like animals, end quote. Well, of course, all this comes as Sherman is expected to appear in court at 2 p.m. today in Riverhead, Long Island. Cindy? Elijah, there's been talk of Harriman being a prime suspect in a fourth woman's murder. What can you tell us about that? That's correct, Cindy. So Hearman is also the prime suspect in the death of Maureen Bernard Barnes. Uh, investigators say she vanished back in 2007. Now, here's this. He has not yet been charged in that case. However, police said that they believe that Hearman is not connected to the unsolved deaths of four sex workers in Atlantic City. Uh, we know that the bodies of those women were found close together in a drainage ditch behind a now-demolished motel in 2006. Cindy? Elijah Westbrook. So interesting. We heard that again from the family has no involvement in this. I'd like to just recap a little bit. Rodney Harrison coming from the NYPD became the Suffolk County police commissioner uh, approximately a year and a half to two years ago. And in March of 2022, the evidence in regards to the Chevy avalanche and the large man that went to uh, Amber Costello's house, uh, which was in the case folder apparently for over 10 years, was discovered by the uh, investigators and the task force. That's what started the ball rolling in this case. So what did they start doing then? They started doing a lot of cell phone work, work that potentially was already done, much of it. And they were able to connect the cell phones, the burner phones, as everyone has been Everyone's educated now. Everyone's called them burner phones. You talk to anyone. We used to call them boost phones or different terms. And burner phones. And these were the phones that he used to contact the sex workers. And in, in every incident, the phones would either ping in Manhattan or in Massapequa Park. 
putting all of that information together with the cell phone pings, the burner phones, the sex workers, and the Chevy Avalanche, and this six foot four to six foot six inch giant of a man, they were able now to identify Rex Human. For, for over a year, they've been conducting surveillance and doing, of course, other investigative checks, including an undercover from the Gilgo Beach Task Force was able to collect garbage from Rex Human's home in the way of bottles. From those bottles, they lifted DNA, which belonged to Asa Human, the, the wife of Rex Human. I don't know if she uses his last name. And then we all know the famous pizza story, the pizza box story. Investigators following Rex Ewerman in, in Manhattan watched him disregard a box that contained pizza crust in it. Not from the box that they obtained Rex Ewerman's DNA, but from swabbing the pizza crust that no doubt had his saliva on it. And with that DNA exemplar, they compared that to a hair that was found on one of the bodies. It was a match to Rex Ewerman. Very, very, very powerful evidence. That was identified through mitochondrial DNA, which apparently in the last few years has had huge advancements in the technology. I know, I understand mitochondrial DNA identification existed 10 or 12 years ago, but the science of using it has advanced to the point where they can make identifications that they couldn't have made 12 years ago using mitochondrial DNA. So that's a synopsis, a brief synopsis on where we are today. And there's other evidence. Phil, you want to jump in here? Sure, absolutely. I just want to expand a little bit about the burner phones. Now, a burner phone is a phone that you could buy uh, either in a phone store, you could walk into a 7-Eleven. They're basically like a, dis a disposable phone. You don't have to show identification, or if you do show identification, uh, it doesn't have to be, it's not like they check or do run a credit report on you. But the specific thing about burner phones is this. Every phone leaves an electronic fingerprint. That was key in this case. He walked into telephone stores and used his American Express card to re-up minutes on his burner phone. He was also caught on surveillance camera doing that. So again, burner phones, even though they may not, they may not have a customer name and address attached to them, or it could be a bogus customer name and address, there is still an electronic fingerprint. What I mean by that is it will show the call log of all calls that are made to and from that phone, meaning if he calls a victim's or if he calls the Phil, Phil, I think I think that um, uh, they're going live. I want to go to this. Go uh, yeah, uh, somebody put in the chat that uh, Tierney was on. Yes, I want to go to this. Put this on the screen. Worth of investigation. Uh, so it is. I'm, I'm not going to speak for defense counsel, but suffice to say, it is a massive amount of material. And don't forget, it's continuing. Uh, because the investigation is continuing. So uh, we're talking about a massive amount of, of material. Any of you have a question or a 
We receive tips on, you know, all uh, in all cases at all times. Uh, we take those serious and we we work through them, but uh, we maintain the the confidentiality of the investigation up until the time uh, uh, we can bring charges. Can you say what was the septic chamber and the long conference? It was uh, basically what what I just uh, elicited, what I just spoke to you all about, which was uh, the, the the discovery schedule. Uh, and uh, the manner in which we were going to get this uh, massive amount of discovery over to the defense. It has to be done in a way that makes sense for the defense, but also makes sense for us as well. So uh, they can understand what they get and we, we're able to uh, catalog and identify, you know, what, what exactly it is we provided. Last time you said that you had some case, last time you said that it was some stories about the DNA for the four victims. It's already promised about that. So uh, the investigation is continuing, um, but uh, you know, we'll, once that uh, investigation is concluded, we'll have more to say. But that investigation is ongoing. Last week, you said the scores of evidence gathered at the Massachusetts Hall Room would take time to sift through. How much of what was handed over today is from last week? Um, so uh, you know, was placed on the record specifically what we 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 turned over, which is part of the court record. Um, I don't think anything specifically from the, the recent searches has been turned over. There are some reports that Hadoum and Sunni ex-wife is upset at the way the house is effectively turned upside down. She might uh, try to bring forward a case for scores of the uh, She could pursue whatever remedies uh, she, she feels are, are necessary. If things are proceeding as, as they have been, do you anticipate a trial? You do not anticipate a plea deal? I don't anticipate anything. I anticipate that we have to show up every day. We have to we have to comply with our discovery requirements, and you know we'll negotiate the case in, in good faith with the court and defense counsel, and see how it plays out, just like any other case. Um, I've I've led many cases. Uh, you know, last one being in 2019. So this is uh, this is what we do as prosecutors. Uh, you know, as as we've said, we've worked through the grand jury process. Uh, that grand jury process is continuing. The good thing about the grand jury process is we can subpoena witness witnesses and evidence, uh, but it's also secret. So we'll maintain the secrecy of that grand jury uh, until the grand jury has acted. Uh, we're not going to discuss specific uh, terms with, with with regard to this or any other grand jury. So what needs to happen between now and then, we, we need to continue to comply with uh, with the discovery requirements. We're working with the court, we're working with defense counsel. Uh, that discovery is gonna be going out on a rolling basis. And uh, as you know, was indicated in court, it's a tremendous amount of material. So we're gonna continue to provide that. Obviously, uh, you know, the defense is going to need time to digest all, all of that which we're given. Do you anticipate a, a date for the end of discovery? It's going to take a, a, a while, and we, you know, we just need to be uh, uh, productive, and that's something that we'll work out with regard to both the court and and counsel. When you spoke at the home, and you said nothing jumped out initially from what you took from the home. Has that changed? So, so when when I say nothing jumps out, I mean, you, you know, you wait until all the facts are in, uh, and then you draw conclusions from those facts. So we still have to continue. Uh, to wait for all of that, and the, not only the, the cataloging of the evidence, but all of the uh, testing, including forensic testing, to get done. Which, unfortunately, you know, unlike 
sometimes on TV, it just doesn't happen overnight. How long does it varies. Uh, it depends upon what you're talking about. Is it DNA? Is it is it some some other analysis? Is it is it mitochondrial DNA? Is it nuclear DNA? So it, it's very, uh, you know, it's dependent upon the, the facts and circumstances of of each individual piece of evidence. So we just have to wait for the process to play out. It's it's certainly weeks. Some of the DNA evidence is Uh, extremely confident. It's all been tested. It's all been uh, deemed admissible in courts of, of law across the United States. So we're confident in our science. And as far as the victims go, how many families were here to support? You know, were they here supporting three of the victims? You know, how many different families? So that's a tough question to answer because I think you know there there are people who are physically here. I can tell you that we have a great dialogue with all the the, the victims' families, and and they're all su supporting in one way or the other. So. I'm not going to get into specifics with, with, with specifically uh, who's here and who's not here. But what I will say is uh, the victims' families are interested and engaged. Can you give us some idea of the timetable? Are you handing over discovery like once a month? Is that generally? So what we've said is a rolling basis. And that what that essentially means is when you're talking about this massive amount of uh, material, we're just basically starting and then, you know, you know uh, culling the material, providing it, and then, and you know, sort of repeating the process. But there's, you know, it's a massive amount of, of material. Can you say anything about the fourth victim? Are you uh, close to filing charges in that case? Uh, the investigation with regard to um, all of the uh, the body, the remaining bodies on uh, Gilgo is continuing. Is the wife cooperating with uh, the whole process? We don't uh, speak about uh, anyone who, uh, who, uh, talks to, to us with regard to our investigations. We maintain the confidentiality of anyone who may or may not be talking to us. Nope. How many uh, victims had family representatives here? Just the number. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, again, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speak for the victims. The victims are um, there. They'll speak for themselves. I'm not going to. Um, more than one, but I'm not going to talk specifically about the victims. I mean, I believe, I believe some of that video uh, pertains to the the, the motel that um, uh, Ms. Waterman was staying at shortly before her disappearance. Uh, basically, what happened here, it, it's just a re repeat. Uh, they'll be, you know, obviously uh, the defense will have the opportunity to provide, uh, to go through what uh, we've, we've provided. We're going to be continuing to provide on a rolling basis. Uh, so it'll be just the opportunity for us to continue the process with uh, defense counsel as well as uh, being able to inform the court of, of, of our progress and the status of the case. Um, you know, I, 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 the families have opted not to speak at this time, and I, I certainly respect that. And again, you know, uh, we, we don't uh, dictate to our victims any, any particular message that they should or should, shouldn't be given. So I, I think that's it. But uh, thanks all for coming. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll see you back on the 27th. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So, 
there you have it, Phil. Uh, basically, in court today, what occurred was what we predicted would occur. That it was basically like um, setting the groundwork uh, for what's going to happen in the future of this case, setting the groundwork in regards to discovery material, when they have to hand it over, uh, establishing a schedule. I think I heard the next date was September 27th. Was that correct? I, I heard so. it correctly. Okay, so the next date they'll appear in court will be September 27th. There's a lot of concern, of course, from the media in regards to the family and what's going to happen. You know, of course, they pointed out that the police destroyed their house. You know, that's, of course, the media loves <laughs> to do that. But that's no different than any other search warrant. Um, I would imagine that um, Asa, uh, and I don't know if it's she doesn't use the word, her last name, Uriman, but her attorney will address that. And I believe they can file a lawsuit against, um, actually would be uh, Nassau County, because they live in Nassau County, yeah. uh, and file a lawsuit against the appropriate plaintiffs, whether it be Nassau or Suffolk County police, and be made whole in regards to their home and the damage that was done during uh, the search warrant. You know, Billy, uh, we were talking about the cell phone technology before we went to the press conference. And the, the, the burner cell, uh, cell phone technology, if you can recover that phone, like I said, it leaves an electronic fingerprint. It, it gives uh, the call log. So when he made calls to uh, uh, sex workers, there would be, uh, if, if we recover the actual phone, there would be a call log for that. And if we have the person's phone that the, the burner phone is calling, we can now pull the information from that number to see other stuff that goes on in that phone. So even though you use a burner phone and you don't have a customer name and address, social security, et cetera, tied to that phone, you still have all the call log information. You still have the digital uh, fingerprint. Uh, one other thing I just wanted to bring up. Um, there was a, a comment in the chat, Butterfly Dana. Why was there so much police corruption early on in these missing women's cases? I don't think there was corruption in the uh, actual cases themselves. The corruption was in leadership between the district attorney's office out in Suffolk County and the uh, police commissioner in Suffolk County. So again, did something fall through the cracks on this case? Yes, absolutely. That information about the Chevy Avalanche, it did fall through the cracks. However, it was uncovered later on down the line. I don't think that what was going on in the police department in Suffolk County and the district attorney's office had any relevancy to uh, this case not being solved at that time. If there was different leadership, could there have been a different outcome? Yes, I guess perhaps, but I don't think there was actual corruption within this case, so to speak. Well, I think that the, when people point out about the corruption, they point to the fact that um, the chief that who Burke. went to, to jail, Burke, uh, he failed to call the FBI in to help out in right. this case. And many people see that as corruption. In addition, the information that they had about the Chevy Avalanche and this large man going to the home of Amber Costello was sort of either sat on or lost for 10 or 11 years. So people look at that and they view that as corruption. And perhaps they may even point to that and say as incompetence in regards to this investigation. So we can, we can definitely understand that. And um, so, but, but yeah, corruption, 
uh, yeah, the district attorney, uh, Spoda, also went to prison. And not specifically in regards to this case. But so, yes, the public uh, shining a light on this. Absolutely. You can understand where they're coming from. Phil, I want you to go to a quick commercial. Sure. Joe Murray, attorney at, law, attorney at law. Now, Joe is a terrific criminal defense attorney. He's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD, so he literally knows both sides of defense. So if you should need a criminal defense attorney in the New York metropolitan area, you can get a hold of Joe at jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com, and Joe might be able to deliver that knockout punch since he does have a boxing background. Joe is a big supporter of police off the cuff real crime stories, and we think he is of the best when it comes to criminal defense. Folks, what we're really uh, looking at also with this case, and everyone, of course, is concerned with He's being charged with three murders right now. And the district attorney, Ray Tierney, indicated that potentially uh, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, that case could be added to the indictment or additionally indicted. Uh, he didn't give a time frame for that. But there's also other bodies. And that's what everyone's concern is, is that is he going to be looked at on those cases? And the answer to that is, of course, of course, but we also understand there has to be what's called evidence, obviously, that links him to these cases. Because all of the bodies were found in a very close proximity, it would make sense that, yeah, potentially he is the guilty party or he did commit these cases, but they can't just link them to him without evidence. Phil? Yeah, I think the fact that, uh, and I hate to use this word, uh, it was sort of a dumping ground where you know bodies were being placed after uh, victims were murdered. Uh, I think that kind of, uh, you know, now you have him tied to three, possibly four of the murders. And again, uh, all of the evidence that was taken out of that home, now perhaps there was what we call a trophy or a souvenir uh, that could have been taken from the victim. Uh, perhaps uh, an article of clothing, uh, a piece of jewelry. Now, I think the painstaking task is going to be that the investigators are going to be in touch with those victims' families and see if they can identify. Perhaps there's a picture of uh, one of the victims wearing that piece of jewelry or that article of clothing. And now they have a little bit more. Was there any DNA evidence recovered from the victims when they were first found that we can tie to Rex Uerman? Again, a lot of the uh, examination is going on as we speak. Uh, I think Tierney just laid that out when one of the reporters asked about uh, evidence and stuff like that. So going forward, are we going to see more charges against him, uh, leveled against him, related to these uh, other victims? I think it's quite possible. Uh, I would say almost definitely uh, Maureen Brainard Barnes' case is probably going to be attributed to him. I think he'll be charged with that almost certainly. Again, uh, the other investigative evidence that's being examined at this point, and again, uh, any items that were taken out of that house uh, to see if there's any match to any of those victims, those will be things that will bring us closer to charges regarding Rex Human. Now, is there a possibility exists that though some of those victims aren't related to Rex Human? Yes, I guess that possibility does exist. No, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, you heard... Uh... 
District Attorney Tierney talk about um, the amount of discovery material, which is, you know, in a case like this, just baffling the amount that they will have to uh, turn over to the defense. They'll have to do it in parts until the some of the evidence, again, with the testing, is not even back yet. So they would, of course, want the results of the tests that they do on a lot of this evidence. Mary Lynn Mineta, thank you so much for being a channel member. Thank you so much for the $5 super sticker. Very much appreciated, guys. Uh, there's uh, legal-minded friends, Karen Cole, one of our, our, our mods. Thank you for all you do. Uh, thank Kim Alliston, who's fantastic. Uh, thank you, Kim. Is, is one of the best supporters of Police Off the Cuff and one of our wonderful mods that we have out there that keeps the integrity of this show going and keeps pe keeps people in line that get out of line in the chat. They do a hell of a job. So, Phil, I know that this case is still, even though there's been an arrest, it's still at its infancy. And there's so much more to come in. And we're going to be covering this case down the road as it goes to court. And I, I'm sure as things come out in the press, as evidence comes back, the tests come back, we'll have more to report. People, of course, want to know, where has Rex Ewerman been? Did he start committing these murders at the age of 46, which would have been the probability in this case? However, does it go back much further? That type of investigation is voluminous, and it takes a great deal of work and manpower and could take years to look into that. But they will be looking into it. There's no doubt in my mind. Absolutely, Billy. And, uh, you know, I think... Um, Going forward with this case, there's so many things that were taken out of that home. Perhaps there is going to be ties to these other murders. And again, you brought up a good point. We don't know what transpired from the time that these murders were discovered till the time he was arrested. And we don't know what transpired in Rex Uriman's life before these murders took place. Uh, we always tend to believe that uh, serial killers will manifest and they sort of graduate into these type of things. And is that possible here? Yeah, I think it's quite possible. Investigation is uh, far from over. You know, one of the things that um, sort of, I don't know, it, it just rubs me the wrong way. Uh, Ray Tierney being the um, uh, Suffolk County District Attorney, uh, I like to hear from him with regard to the prosecution part. He was talking about the investigation a little. To me, I want to hear from the Suffolk County Police Commissioner I want to hear from the investigators on the case. The, the lead on that case is, is Rodney Harrison, the Suffolk County Police Commissioner. With regard to that part of it, that's who I like to hear from. Down the line, when we get to hearings and we get to the trial, then I believe that uh, Ray Tierney is uh, the one that should be uh, given the commentary. But it seems like there is so much more work uh, that's going to be taking place in this case. Uh, I don't think uh, this investigation is over. I think it's actually far from over. And, uh, you know, all of the different pieces of evidence that were examined and, and removed from that home, uh, he talked about the, uh, you know, sending stuff out to lab, DNA evidence, uh, other examination. And uh, th those things do take time. I think that uh, even some of the uh, cell phone activity 
takes time to come back. So we'll just have to stay on top of it. We'll, we, we will be reporting on it as the uh, events unfold. And this is just uh, quite a big case. I, I don't think uh, we've had anything like this in the last 20 or 25 years, so to speak. So again, keeping an eye on it and uh, just waiting for, uh, you know, the developments to, uh, to uh, unfold as we speak. Uh, Bill, do I still have you? It seems like I'm on uh, for quite a. Yeah, no, no, I'm still, I'm still here, Phil. I gave you the screen. I gave you, I gave okay. you a chance at, to shine. Schmitty, thank you for the two, two little super sticker, uh, guys. That's gonna be our uh, coverage for today. Uh, again, we didn't expect that much from this hearing today, but uh, you know, some, uh, some of the things were unpacked: a discovery, a schedule. Where, what will they be doing moving forward? And at this time, I just always like to mention the victims. And in this case, you may say there's a lot more victims, but these are the ones that we know of. Uh, Marine Brainerd Bonds, although she, he hasn't been charged with that yet, they, uh, they intimated that that will be coming. Melissa Bartolome, Amberlynn Costello, Megan Waterman, and their families. That's what this case is all about. And we... Uh, say prayers to these victims and to their families. Phil, your final thoughts. My final thoughts are you took the words right out of my mouth. Those are the victims. That's who we are putting uh, this podcast together for. That's what the investigators and the prosecutors are working for, the families, justice for the victims. I think we have to stay tuned on this case. I really feel strongly that uh, there's going to be some other evidence uh, coming out of uh, the search warrants that were conducted with regard to his home and that Chevy Avalanche that was down in South Carolina, I believe it was. So uh, let's just, uh, you know, stay tuned on all of this. Uh, I always say stay out of the weeds, stay out of the conspiracy theories, just stick to the facts. Uh, this seems to be uh, a very strong case so far, and hopefully uh, there will be justice coming for the victims and the families of the victims going forward. Absolutely. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, on behalf of Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories, I'm Bill Cannon. And with my co-host today, retired NYPD Detective Phil Grimaldi. Have a great day and God bless. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.